Amen. Amen. At this time, children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else, go ahead and take your Bibles and let's open up to Daniel chapter 7. And let's be reminded this morning that our God is the Ancient of Days. Amen. It's, uh, it's going to be exciting. I'm not going to lie to you. We're about to have a lot of fun. Now, as we jump into Daniel chapter 7, the book of Daniel is going to take a pretty drastic shift. We're going to go from covering some of the events that have taken place in Daniel's lifetime under captivity, first in Babylon and then in Persia after the Persian army overtakes Babylon. We're going to see a shift take place as Daniel is no longer recalling those events, recalling things that took place during that time period. Now Daniel is going to begin to talk about some dreams and visions that he had while in captivity. This is what we think of as apocalyptic prophecy. In other words, this is prophecy concerning end time events and as such it is quite difficult it is quite confusing there's going to be a lot of graphic imagery some of it is even going to be a little bit terrifying and scary but all of it is going to remind us of the sovereignty of God and so as we make our way through the text we're going to see the sovereignty of God on display again and again and again and as questions arise and you are curious you're wondering what does this mean? What could this mean? How is this going to happen? Any of those type of questions, I'm going to refer you to Corey. All right, so if I don't just go talk to Corey, if Corey doesn't know, then you can go talk to the other Corey. So we got big and little Corey. Go talk to them. I'll let you figure out which one's which. Go talk to them. And if all else fails and they don't know the answer, just ask Siri, all right? And if Siri and the Corys don't know it, then we'll, maybe nobody does. That might be the problem. Maybe no one knows the answer. Look, Corey's leaving. He is out of here. He's like, uh-uh, read this before, not wanting these questions asked to me. No, in all seriousness... Daniel chapter 7 is going to be a lot of fun for us to get through. It's going to take us two weeks to get through it. There's going to be a lot of things, though, that arise here that we're going to be curious about. There's a lot of questions that get raised here that, I'll be honest with you, we do not know the answer to. There are those who have taken a guess. There's those who've taken a stab at it. There's those who've put forth in a hypothesis or an educated, even theologically sound guess, all of which are, are good to read and good to understand. But the reality is we will not know all. All the details, all the questions will not be answered, and that's okay, amen? The meaning of the text, however, is completely and totally clear. God is sovereign over all things. And even when we're confused, even when things get a little bit intimidating to us, God is still sovereign. So in the text, we're going to see the sovereignty of God on display in three ways, although this morning we're only going to get to the first two. Now, there's a lot of symbolism in Daniel chapter 7. As we read it, you're, you're going to see that. And again, this is going to take place as a vision or a dream that Daniel has of the night. As a matter of fact, as we read this, this dream is going to come across similar to a nightmare because of the graphic imagery that we see. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 15, it says that Daniel was troubled. He was anxious after this dream. When Daniel woke up the next morning, he felt as if he had had a 
nightmare. This was not something that he saw and was okay with. This rocked his world. This kept him up at night for weeks and weeks to come afterwards. And that is why Daniel so vividly wrote all of this down in chapter 7. Now let me just sort of catch you up and remind you of the context. Because we took a break for Christmas. So remember... The book of Daniel was written by Daniel, who was a captive in Babylon, in order to remind us of God's sovereignty, regardless of the circumstances. In other words, even if your country is invaded, even if Jerusalem gets sacked and you as a young teen are taken captive to a foreign land, it is all for God's purposes. God is sovereign and he will use it for his glory. That's what happened to Daniel, right? Daniel's a teen. Are y'all awake? It's a little humid in here, I know. It's kind of like 85 degrees outside. That's how you start January for us, right? 85 degrees outside, a little humid in here. But, but wake up, let's stay together. So remember, Daniel's taken captive. Him and some other uh, Israelites are taken captive to Babylon. By the time this happens in the first year of the, of the reign of Belshazzar, Babylon has grown to a massive empire. Nebuchadnezzar is about to fade away. He, is, he has been brought to an end. Nebuchadnezzar is gone. Belshazzar has taken the throne. So chronologically, if you're wondering, Daniel chapter 7, the vision takes place right between chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Daniel. And so there's a little bit of overlap chronologically in, in the chapters. So 1 through 6 happen chronologically, but then the visions that we see in the second half of the book, they take place to, uh, kind of sporadically through those uh, first six books and then some after chapter 6 as well. And so as we jump in, what we're going to see is that God is sovereign and we're going to see his sovereignty on display. So let's jump in. Daniel chapter 7. We're going to start by reading verses 1 through 8. We'll pray and then we'll make our way through that section of text together. So just join with me. Chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Verse 2, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was... Excuse me, it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. In verse 6, after this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And in verse 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, three came up among them. Excuse me, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Let's pray. 
Lord, as we come to this text, Lord, we just begin in humility. Lord, acknowledging that we need your help to understand the meaning of this text. Lord, we acknowledge that there will be things that remain a mystery to us. There will be things that we may not fully understand or comprehend. But Lord, I pray that as we make our way through the text this morning, that above all, we will be reminded of your sovereignty, that we'll be reminded of your eternal kingdom, which is to come. And Lord, that this would not cause us to be fearful, but Lord, this would cause us to be excited about the ancient of days that is establishing his eternal kingdom through his son Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified and honored in all that we do this morning. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the text again, we're going to see two of the three uh, displays of God's sovereignty. Number one, the sovereignty of God is on display as he raises up the kingdoms of man for his purpose. Let me say that again. The sovereignty of God is on display as he raises up the kingdoms of man for his purposes. Now, in verse 1, Daniel tells us that this is the first year of King Belshazzar's reign, which places this about 553 BC. As I said earlier, somewhere in between chapters 4 and chapters 5 of the book of Daniel. As he laid in his bed at night, Daniel began to have a dream. The dream gave way to a vision of the Lord and Daniel wrote down the vision for us because Daniel knew that God was speaking to him and not just to him but that what God was going to share with Daniel was something that God wanted the saints to know including us today. And so just remember this was not given to bring confusion. This was given to prepare us for what was going to come and what was going to take place. And so Daniel writes down the vision and we begin to see the vision spelled out in verse 2. Notice what it says. I want you to keep your Bibles open because the text is, is, is so alarming at times. We're going to need to go back to the text again and again to read it and to study it. It says, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Notice the phrase, the four winds of heaven, speaking of winds coming from all directions, all at the same time. Notice that these winds are of heaven. In other words, they are initiated by God so that what we're about to see is the activity of God, not a coincidence or not an accident. Right, it's important to understand that when these beasts rise up out of the sea, that it is God that is acting. It is not man alone that's acting, but it is God in his sovereignty that is bringing these things about for his greater purposes. And then notice the phrase, the sea. The sea is often used, especially in the book of Isaiah, as a reference to all of mankind. So here's the image that we begin to see. These beasts that raise up out of the sea are men. This is, these are the kingdoms of man that raise up out of this sea. And they don't raise up because these particular men happen to be strong and mighty men. Or these kingdoms happen to be mighty kingdoms. All of this is the sovereign activity of God as he sends the winds that blow onto the sea that is mankind from which these beasts begin to raise. And so all of that is important for us to understand. It's also important for us to remember the context within the book of Daniel. If you begin to notice these four, it reminds us of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that he had back in chapter 2. 
Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had this terrifying dream that was a nightmare to him. It kept him up for nights and weeks and months at a time. He could not find anyone who could interpret the dream. He was about to put all the wise men of the kingdom to death until Daniel got word of it. And Daniel went before the king and said, I'll tell you not only the interpretation of the dream, but I'll tell you the dream and its interpretation. Remember, Daniel then goes back to his uh, his. His friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, by the way, I just put all of our lives on the line. If I don't know the dream, by the time I wake up, we're all going to die. Y'all pray. And then he went to bed. Right? Because that's what you do when things are crazy. You just go to sleep. And you trust God in the night. And that's exactly what Daniel did. And so all of chapters 1 through 6 sort of build Daniel's resume, if you will, for what he's going to tell us in chapter 7 Eight and following. And so Daniel interprets the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he saw a great statue. The statue had a head of gold. It had shoulders and arms of bronze. It, I mean, silver. It had midsection and thighs of bronze. And it had iron legs with feet and mixture of iron and clay. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that that statue with its four differing parts represented four great kingdoms of the earth. The first, the gold head, represented Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. But Babylon would give way to another kingdom. And that kingdom would give way to another kingdom which would give way to a final kingdom that was the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay. But remember that a rock was taken out Sewn out by not human hands, the divine rock was cast into the statue. The statue was utterly destroyed. The rock became a mountain and all of the earthly kingdoms gave way to an eternal kingdom that God himself would establish through his son. Amen, right? That's exciting. Now what's interesting is this vision in chapter 7 is a parallel vision of the same exact events that are going to take place. Now, what's ironic, by the way, is when mankind, Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, when mankind looks upon it where its works, it sees a great and mighty, glorious statue. But when God looks upon the same events from his perspective, he does not look kindly upon the sins of man. He looks at them as wild beasts that are devouring and killing and mutilating one another. Isn't that interesting? And we tout up the great kingdoms of the earth and we think, man, how glorious. And God looks down and thinks, how sad, evil, wicked, and sinful. Look at them devour one another. Look at them mutilate one another. And so Daniel here, as he begins to have this dream, he notices four beasts that begin to rise out of the sea. So who are the four beasts? Well, look with me in verse 4. The first was like a lion. Had eagle's wings, and then as I looked, the wings were plucked off. It was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. The first beast represents, again, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. As a matter of fact, notice the imagery of the lion and the eagle. Both glorious, both powerful. The kings of the animal and the king of the air. Notice the imagery as well as the eagle's wings are ripped off the back of the lion. The lion is made to stand on two feet like a man and is given the mind of a man. It reminds us of exactly what we saw happen in Nebuchadnezzar's life. 
when he was arrogantly bragging about what he had accomplished and God gave him the mind of a beast, drove him out of his kingdom only to later, in his grace, give him the mind of a man once again and reestablish his kingdom. And so the first beast is Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, just like it was back in chapter 2. The second kingdom, just like it was back in chapter 2, is the Medo-Persian Empire, specifically the Persian Empire that will rise to power. Notice its imagery in verse 5. Behold another beast, the second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise and devour much flesh. Now remember, in chapter 5, we have Daniel's account of the fall of Babylon as the Medo-Persian Empire came in, killed Belshazzar, and wiped Babylon, not completely off, but took captivity and control of Babylon. Here, that empire is pictured as a bear, the second most feared animal in the animal kingdom at the time. And just like in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron all go down in value. Same in chapter 7, all of these kingdoms go down in splendor. We have a lion into a bear, and the next will be less impressive than a bear until we get to that fourth kingdom that's going to be a little confusing that we'll walk through. But notice what we see here. The bear is told to rise up on one side, showing us that historically the Medo-Persian Empire gives way to the Persian Empire as the Persians take control and become one of the great empires of history. The imagery we have is of the bear raising up on its hind legs and what's in its mouth but three ribs from a previous dinner. Right, Graphic, grueling imagery as we see that the Persian Empire didn't just conquest Babylon, but it took other territories on its way to Babylon. But it's not done. It's told to arise and eat much flesh. The Persian Empire didn't stop with the captivity and the conquering of Babylon. It went on to continue to conquer other empires as God allowed. And so again... The second beast is graphic. It's, an, it's, a, it's a disturbing image that Daniel is seeing. And then again, out of the sea, makes way for the third beast in verse 6. So look with me now in verse 6. After this, I looked and behold another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. Notice this beast is described as a leopard with four wings. It speaks of quickness and agility, which made the leopard one of the terrifying predators of the time. The wings on its back make an already quick predator impossible to escape, right? You're not going to outrun a leopard. If you give it wings, you're definitely not going to outrun a leopard, right? And this represents Greece and Alexander the Great, who historically, remember, conquered the civilized world quicker than anyone had ever seen done before and quicker than anyone has ever seen done since. Alexander the Great rose to great prominence and with incredible speed, he conquered the civilized world only to die at the age of 33 and his kingdom be divided into four The four heads, right? Which is what we see in the beast. The beast, the leopard had four heads. And so likely a reference to Greece and Alexander the Great. And so the first three empires, we have Babylon, we have the Persian Empire, and then we have Greece under the reign and rule of Alexander the Great. And just like we see in in history, 
It gives way to yet a fourth beast, which you may have guessed is the same as we saw back in chapter 2. It's the Roman Empire. However, this beast is different than the rest of the beast. And I want you to notice it with me in verses 7 and 8. It says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now just pause there for a moment. Notice, first of all, that this beast is described as exceedingly horrible and terrifying. And notice that the beast, unlike the three before it, is not actually described. The first was like a lion. The second, like a bear. The third, like a leopard. This one is not described. And what Daniel sees is indescribable and unimaginable to him and to us. There wasn't a known animal to say it was like that. What he saw absolutely terrified him. As a matter of fact, we're going to see some incredibly good news in verses 9 through 14 that we're going to get to. But notice what it says in verse 15. Daniel says, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. When's the last time you had a nightmare? I mean, when you just woke up in an absolute panic. Chances are it was probably when you were younger and having two young kids in the house, we still know what a nightmare means in the middle of the night, right? It means that my bed is about to get more crowded. Right now, Noah hasn't run into our room in a long, long time, but every once in a while, Haley will still have a nightmare. And when she has a nightmare, she will come barreling into our room, jump in between us, and she always snuggles up to mommy instead of daddy. No idea why I'm supposed to be the protector, but that's not who she wants. She wants mommy, the comforter, to snuggle with her in the middle of the night. Right? That's what Daniel had. Daniel didn't have just a vision. He had a vision that absolutely terrified him. Right? Daniel woke up in a sweat. Right? He woke up afraid. He woke up terrified. This was an incredibly graphic and horrific vision. And it all comes down to this fourth and final beast. And so notice the beast is not described but is said to have had great iron teeth with which it chomped and broke into pieces all that were before it. Anything that remained, it stomped out with his feet to make sure that it was utterly and completely destroyed. Historically, as Rome conquered the known land of the time, that's exactly what it did to the other kingdoms. It didn't just overtake them and allow them to continue to exist under its authority. It absolutely annihilated them. It wiped them out. And notice that this beast has ten horns. And notice in verse 8, Daniel considered the ten horns. And behold, there came up from among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now, we will get into greater detail about the ten horns and the little horns next week as we're giving much greater detail in verses 15 and following. But I want you to notice a couple of things that I'm going to mention now and explain in greater detail next week. First of all, these ten horns, are we're told next week, represent ten kings that will reign 
in Rome from the time of Rome to the time of the Antichrist. My suspicion, most evangelical conservative scholar suspicion, is that these ten kings have yet to appear in the history of the world. They will give way to one little horn that will rise up, uprooting three of the kings, taking their place, and will usurp his authority over all the other ten kings, and will give way to the one world rule that we see at the end of times, meaning that the little horn is most likely the first reference in the Old Testament to the person we think of as the Antichrist. Right? Again, take all your questions to Corey and Corey. All right, they'll give you all the details of this. Right? Listen, next week we're going to get into more detail about this. We don't have time this morning to make it all the way through the end of the chapter as I was hoping. But next week we're going to see this spelled out specifically as Daniel asked most likely an angel beside him, what does all this mean? And that angel gives Daniel more of the information and we'll get to look at it next week. But this fourth kingdom, this fourth beast represents in God's planning and sovereignty It represents the Roman Empire from the time of its arrival, even past its historical demise, and in some way, shape, or form, represents the Roman Empire that will continue until the end of time with the the presentation or the appearance of the Antichrist. At some period, apparently, the Roman Empire will rise again, either literal Rome or a metaphorical Rome in the future. We don't know. We'll take a guess at it next week. But it will rise And it will ultimately end with the Antichrist coming onto the scene. And with eyes like a man and a mouth like a man, he will speak great things we see in verse 8. We're told in verse 25, those great things will be blasphemies against God and blasphemies and persecutions against the saints. Right? So as we already know, The Antichrist is not a friend. He is most definitely the great foe and he will wreak havoc upon the church and upon believers. And so as Daniel has this vision, verses 1 through 8, Daniel is exceedingly alarmed. Now, my question is, before, or my my comment, before we get dismayed or before we get overwhelmed by the visions, let's remember and notice the sovereignty of God in the events. I want you to look back with me. First of all, notice the vision is from the Lord for Daniel and the children of Israel to prepare them for what is going to come so that they will not be dismayed. And what happens is Daniel is told this in between chapters 4 and 5. He's reminded of the vision he had from Nebuchadnezzar back in chapter 2. And Daniel is, excuse me, able to prepare the nation of Israel for what many of them will see in their lifetime. Right? The fall of Babylon, the rise of Persia, not that they, they won't live through all this, the fall of Persia, the rise of Greece, the fall of Greece, and the rise of Rome. We, looking back in history, we've seen all those things take place, Right? And so God wrote to prepare believers who would be alive during that time and including us moving forward for what was going to happen. Secondly, do not miss the sovereign activity of God as the one who sends the wind in verse 2, who lifts up the beast in verse 4, commands the second beast to arise and devour much flesh in verse 5, and then gives dominion to the third beast in verse 6. Right? This is God that is working. This is God that is moving. God sends the wind. God raises up Nebuchadnezzar. God gives the command. God gives the dominion. For whatever reason, this is God's perfect plan. 
And this is not happening based upon the power of man or the accident of God. This is happening all based upon the sovereign plan of God. Amen? So God hasn't lost control, so there's no reason for us to panic. Amen? I'll never forget as I started flying more and more internationally and domestically, and I just started being on airplanes more, I always kind of heard the, the, the wisdom of don't get nervous when things start going crazy on the plane unless you see the flight attendants get nervous on the plane. Right, And so you're flying, you hit turbulence, and it's weird to think that you can hit turbulence in the air, right? But you hit air bumps and whatnot, and the plane starts jumping and moving. And, you know, in my logic, I'm thinking, there's nothing but air up here. We really shouldn't be moving, right? But every once in a while, you get on a rough flight, and that thing will go up and down, and it'll drop significantly. And it, when it drops, it's like if you go down a big hill, your stomach will go, whoo, you know. Some of you car sick, you know, you grab the bag in front of you, and you're like, oh, it's coming, right? And the rest of us are just along for the ride, bumping and bouncing. And for years, never got nervous. Never got nervous, never worried, never panicked, just riding, enjoying the bumpy ride from time to time. Until I was on a flight to California for a conference with Jamie one year. And on that flight, it was incredibly rough. I'm riding. We're having a good time. Get a little uneasy on the stomach. We're bouncing more than normal. And I happen to be seated in what's called the bulkhead, which is the seat right before the wall, right? Before, and not first class, right before first class. I was so close I could smell the cookies, right? And all of a sudden, the, the flight attendant steps down in front of me, buckles her seatbelt, looks at me dead in the eye, and says, this is not good. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> Wasn't nervous till now. Now I'm, a little bit, now I'm a little bit nervous, right? Right? Everything's under control until the flight attendant says it's not under control. Well, I want to remind you, even in the midst of this vision, everything is still under control. Right? God hasn't lost control. God is still completely and totally sovereign over all things. And what we see is God raises up the kingdoms of man because they fit his eternal and perfect purposes. And so what are we supposed to do then with this information? Well, actually, let me also just say this. Don't worry about the fourth beast. God's going to take care of him in a moment. Okay, so just spoiler alert, foreshadowing, don't worry about the fourth beast. I know it sounded scary. God's going to take care of it in a minute. We'll see it in just a second. But what are we to do with the information? Well, we're to take comfort in the fact that God is sovereign and God is still in control. Amen? All right. We also are not told these things so that we can put all the details together and figure everything out. All right, let me say that again. We're not told these things so that we can put all the details together and figure everything out. That's not why we have the information. It's not so that we will know what's happening, when it's happening, who's who, and what's what. We're not told for those reasons. I know we want to know, right? I mean, we really, really want to know, right? But we're not told this information so that we will know all the details. We are told the information, though, so that we will know enough so that we will be prepared when these things happen, right? We're also not told this information so that we'll be afraid, right? We're, we're not supposed to take this and be afraid. Instead, we are to remember God's sovereignty. And so we're told these things to prepare us so that when these events occur, which many already have, we will be reminded that God is sovereign over all. Now, when I say many of these events already have, Babylon has risen, it has fallen. Persia has risen, it has fallen, right? 
Greece has risen, it has fallen. Rome has risen, and it has even fallen, even though we're kind of wondering what the ten horns and ten future kings are going to look like, right? So half of these events seems like they've already occurred or have already occurred. We're not sure what's going to happen in the future, but we are prepared because our God is sovereign. Amen? Now, let me give you some hope. Look with me now in verse 9. In verse 9, Daniel stops looking at the earth and he begins to focus on heaven. He says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, his hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was of fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Thousands of thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And just like that, that's over. Verse 12, and for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away and their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. In verse 13, and I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Amen? That's what's going to happen. And that's why we have nothing to fear. And so notice that the sovereignty of God is on display as he establishes an everlasting kingdom through his son. After the terrifying images of verses 1 through 8, we need some comfort. We need some good news. Amen? And so in verse 9, David looks up into heaven and he sees a throne established. And on the throne comes the Ancient of Days to take his place. What an amazing image to see none other than God the Father, the everlasting, the one true God, the Ancient of Days, take his seat as sovereign over all things. And David looks at God. And he sees that his clothing is white as snow, symbolizing purity and righteousness that we cannot comprehend. His hair is white like wool, not symbolizing old, but symbolizing purity and holiness and splendor again like we cannot comprehend. And then David notices his throne, and his throne is none other than flames of fire with wheels that are burning fire. And out from his mouth comes fire that goes forth and goes before him and all around him. I tell you, let me ask you, who's still worried about the beast and the loud-mouthed horn now? Right? If that's the God that we serve, why am I worried about that beast? My God's a flaming fire. Right? And so God is seated there on his throne and he is demonstrating his sovereignty. There are thousands upon thousands that are there to serve him. Ten thousands upon ten thousands that are standing before him as he calls court into session. That's right. He's seated on the throne to judge the deeds of man. And as he's seated on his throne, he calls court into session and he opens up the books. And he judges mankind based upon the deeds that they have done that are recorded in the books. His judgment will be fair. His judgment will be swift. 
and his judgment will be final. Notice as the judgment begins in verse 11. Notice Daniel, his attention is drawn back to the earth as he says, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I look, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Again, we'll focus more on the details that were given next week or in the next part of the chapter next week. But notice the severity and the quickness of the, ju- of the judgment. This, this, this horn, this antichrist, he is still mouthing off at the Lord. And Daniel hears the great words, probably in shock and awe that the horn is saying such despicable things against the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days looks down and he judges the horn and it says that with the fire that comes forth from him, the beast is killed, his body is burned with fire, and down goes the beast, little horn and all. Judgment is over just like that. Turns out the Antichrist, the wickedness and strength of mankind is no match at all for the Ancient of Days. Amen? As God is sovereign over all. And then notice it says in verse 12, But as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. It's interesting that the Babylonian, the Babylonians, the Persians, Greece, all of them, although their kingdoms fell, although dominion was taken from them, as a people, they were allowed to maintain and continue on. Even today, our brothers and sisters in Christ that we think of as our Iranian brothers and sisters in Christ, they are our Persian friends, right? They're, they're, they're from the area of Persia. Many of them even claim to still be Persian, not Iranian, because their heritage, their legacy has continued. And God has allowed it to continue for a set amount of time. However, when God judges whatever form Rome will take in the end, when he judges the Antichrist, they will not be allowed to prolong. They will be done once and for all. And then in verse 13 we see some of the most amazing verses in all the Bible, the climax of the book of Daniel. We see Daniel's vision of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Notice what we see in verse 13. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. This is no doubt a reference to Jesus, who is the Son of Man that goes before the Ancient of Days and dominion, glory, and authority is given to him. Notice he was presented before the Ancient of Days and in verse 14 it says to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Notice as well this kingdom will be made up of all peoples, nations, and languages so that they can serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom one that will not and cannot be destroyed. That is the everlasting kingdom that God is establishing through his son. And by the way, that is the eternal everlasting kingdom that we have been invited to be a part of. Are you kidding me? That's the kingdom that God has invited you and I to be a part of. That's the kingdom that God wants to make up from all peoples, nations, and languages. That's the eternal kingdom of God. And so as we make our way through Daniel chapter 7, I don't know about you, but I'm no longer afraid. I'm pumped up. I'm excited for God to finish the establishment of his eternal kingdom. Amen? Listen, whatever happens between now and then, let it happen because God is sovereign and his eternal kingdom will come. 
Amen? Even when it looks like God's lost control, even when it looks like the captives have come in and they're dragging us off, even when persecution is at its greatest, God is still sovereign and the kingdom is still going to come. Amen? So let's not act like we're afraid. Let's remember the one who we serve. Let's remember that the Ancient of Days has everything under control. And let's not be afraid of what's to come. Let's be excited for what is to come. Amen? Listen, might be a little turbulence between now and then. But we will spend eternity with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen? And so let's be excited as we see the sovereignty of God on display. So... Great news, God's invited us to be a part of that kingdom. As a matter of fact, remember the great words of Jesus, the Son of Man, as he came onto the scene in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Remember, we've looked at this often. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, and what was he proclaiming but the gospel of God? And he was saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, Jesus told us that the kingdom of God was at hand and he told us how we can become a part of that kingdom. We're to repent and we're to believe. We're to repent of our sins because remember that God views our sin not as glorious and magnificent, but as despicable, wicked, and nasty. And so we're to repent of the sin that we have, each one of us, and we're to repent of our sin personally that we have committed. We repent of our sin and we believe. We believe in who? We believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That God sent his son, the son of man, to come to this earth to live a perfect life so that he could go to the cross and die as a sacrifice for our sins. So that you and I could put our faith and trust in him and have forgiveness and everlasting life. And if you repent... And if you truly believe, then what Jesus tells the first disciples in verse 17 of Mark chapter 1 will be what we do when he says to them, follow me. If you're a true disciple of Christ, you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That means that your goal is to be one of those thousands upon thousands that serve him. Right? You won't be an angel like they are. But you'll be one that serves him in this life and in the life to come. Why? Because he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our service. Amen? And so the sovereignty of God is on display. And what we must remember is that our God is the ancient of days who has everything under control. And instead of being worried about what is to come, let's be excited about what is to come. And let's do our part today to serve him faithfully with the lives that he has given to us. Amen. Let's do our part to add to the kingdom all peoples, nations, and languages because our God deserves the glory and worship from all people. Amen? And so in this text, we see the sovereignty of God. My question for you is, are you a part of the eternal kingdom of God? Have you come to the place in your life where you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? If not, today can be the day that you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Whether you're in person or whether you are watching us online, let me ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If not, 
then today can be the day that you give your life to Jesus Christ. Today can be the day that you repent of your sins and you believe in who Jesus is as the Son of God and you believe in what He accomplished by dying on the cross and raising victoriously from the dead. And today can be the day that you commit your life to following Him. In just a few moments, as we stand to sing our hymn of invitation, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus before, then that's your moment to come and just say, Will, I want to give my life to Jesus, and I'll tell you everything that you need to know so that you can give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. If you're watching us online, then as I'm speaking even now, go ahead and, and, and send us a message via messenger, text, whatever you can do, and, and get, get word to us so that I can contact you and tell you how you can follow Jesus in your life as well. Believer, let me ask you, are you trusting in the sovereignty of God even in the chaos of this world? It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get dismayed and overwhelmed. But let's be reminded this morning that our God is sovereign even in the moment. Believers, are you serving the one who sits on the throng faithfully? Are you living your life in worship to the Lord Jesus? Are you serving him faithfully this morning? This altar is open. I'm here to pray whatever and however the Lord leads. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your grace. And we thank you for your sovereignty. Lord, we take great comfort this morning in knowing that you are in control. And Lord, we look forward to you establishing your eternal and everlasting kingdom. And we're so grateful that you called us to be a part of it. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that now you would begin to speak and convict and work in their lives. Lord, that they might trust you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, for those of us who are already a part of your kingdom, Lord, we pray that we would serve you faithfully as our king, that we might bring you glory and honor. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.